Hi, Chris here. So Matt and I have been talking and we decided that even though we like having the campaign diaries and the behind the gym screen separate on the YouTube platform, it doesn't suit the podcast format as well. So from now on, we will regroup them in one long form podcast. First, retelling the story elements in the campaign diaries and then talking about the behind the scene in the behind the GM screen segment. The goal is to better meet your expectations as podcast listeners and hopefully offer a better experience. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you will enjoy what is to come. In today's episode, Diedrich makes a deal. The party also solves the mystery of the letter. And they follow the Azir towards their biggest challenge yet. I'm Matt. Welcome to Roleplay Chat. We're two game masters who can't stop talking about role-playing games. And today we continue our Blood and Betrayal campaign diary. Today's episode is called Following the Azir. Uh, yeah, and I mean, if we kick it off right where we left off last time, there's a little bit of overlap. Because last time, Randall and Ungrim went off on their own little adventure. You can watch that video on top of me. Um, <laughs> Called and, a daring excursion. Yeah, it was pretty fun. It was an improvised session. But the rest of the party was busy doing other things while while that was going on. Mm-hmm. So while those two were off exploring uh, the Brass Keep, Ludolf was busy doing things that he probably didn't want to be doing. Uh, as always, Father Percival, the one of the priests of Sigmar that works in his church, was giving him ridiculously mundane tasks to do, things that were far below Ludolf's skill and talent. Things like sorting books, mm-hmm. uh, cleaning the latrines, as always. One of his favorite things to delegate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, this was going on. Uh, Otis uh, spent a little bit of time with Umgrim at the last drop, but at one point during the week that that went uh, between last game and today's episode, if you want, um, at one point Otis just disappears kind of mysteriously saying he has things to do. Uh, elsewhere in the city. Yeah, um, obviously Diedrich accompanied Ludolf to to the Temple of Sigmar and spent a lot of time there. Uh, In between tasks, Ludolf would help Diedrich conduct research on the letter. There were a lot of names. Um, One name in particular that stood out in the letter Diedrich received from his master was the Crimson Skull. They did a lot of research and actually found out that the Crimson Skull, excuse me, the Crimson Skull was a, a group with very little information on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that they found was that they were able to successfully uh, successfully summon a demon and imprison it somewhere. Yes, and it was related to the chaos god Korn. So that's pretty much where they are at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, also, something interesting that Diedrich did uh, at, by the end of this week... Um, he wanted information on this, again, Crimson Skull, and figured maybe I should ask someone. And they had seen in the shadow someone that was known to have a lot of contacts and information. Mm-hmm. Someone called Wemmer Wooten uh, at the last drop, a bar that they often go to, especially Umgrim and uh, Randall and Otis. Yeah, and, and Diedrich was very interested by this individual. He was kind of introduced to him as this information broker, someone who would do anything to get information. Information is power. And to Diedrich, this this resonated with him as well. You know, as a blue wizard, information about the future 
was was almost like a currency. It was something that was very valuable. And Diedrich spent a lot of his time growing up and his, his education learning about how valuable information was and, and how using the Azir was a way to look into this information. So he was very curious to meet this man. Um, was a little bit shocked at how rough around the edges he seemed, but he was kind of oozing with this kind of not power, power is the wrong word, but but this confidence, you know, his confidence about nothing's going on that I don't know about kind of thing. You know, yeah. that, that was kind of the the way he appeared to be. Yeah, this man is standing on the, in a, a little booth uh, at the side of the, the tavern with two bodyguards standing like this, uh, having a presence all over the room. And um, Dietrich uh, approaches him. And this guy is pretty muscular for someone who's supposed to be just about information. He has a huge scar in the neck uh, that is uh, like almost all the way. And uh, Dietrich approaches him with um, an offer. Mm -hmm. Basically, Dietrich tells him, he says, he kind of whispers to him saying, I'm a blue wizard. I'm a journeyman. I know you, you like information. I will offer you a favor alluding to, I will essentially conduct a premonition for you if you tell us what you know about the Crimson Skull. This kind of makes Worm or Wooten, Worm or Wooten's, excuse me, uh, ears perk up. Oh, a premonition, you say. That's worth a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, they agree. And there's a bit of delay here, but essentially, um, Diedrich goes ahead and... Uh, do the ritual to get some premonition around Wimmer Wooten and maybe some kind of rivalry. Like mm -hmm. Wimmer Wooten suspects that someone is trying to um, get to him and it wants to know who exactly, whom, I guess. So yeah, he's, uh, Diedrich spends the night conducting his ritual, looking up at the night sky and sees a vision of an older lady uh, named, named, who's actually named in the vision, Rita. This older lady is handing a pouch of shaking coins, gold, looks like a heavy pouch, to a big man, a muscular man, and barks orders at him. Presumably a hitman of sorts. The next morning, Diedrich returns to meet with Warmer Wooden and gives him this information. Tells him, from start to finish, about what he saw in his premonition. And for the record, blue wizards always must tell the entire truth of their premonitions, if they are to tell anything about them at all. Yeah, they can be, they, they cannot lie about it, but they can be cryptic if they want. Um, Diedrich hasn't figured this out yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and when we're in exchange, uh, offers information. He's like, I didn't, I don't know anything about the Crimson Skull for sure. Like, but what I've learned is that there is uh, an Ulrich priest that was found dead with uh, some kind of a skull marking on his person. Um, the group investigates a little bit and eventually have access to the body through our clever positioning? No, <laughs> clever... Anyway, they, they make their way there and um, they found out that the, the, the mark was actually uh, put on the body before death. Which was, yeah, very fascinating. You, you thought We thought maybe at first that it was something that happened after, like post-mortem. But no, 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 this was, this was their... Significantly before too, mm -hmm. like in you know, not just a couple days, 
it was there for a while. So the, the party kind of digests this information, and as they're they're doing that, Otis returns for a brief moment to tell Ludolf and Diedrich that Randall and Ungram had returned, and that they should go meet them at the last drop. They have critical information that they need to share. Uh, so Diedrich and Ludolf stop what they're doing and return to the last drop. So. As they meet Umgrim and Randall, they Umgrim and Randall are very excited to show their new finding, finding and they produce a a flask of uh, what they call stardust. They're like, we got stardust, um, and people are we don't. What is stardust? Yeah, what are you right? talking about? <laughs> yeah, and they explain the adventure and the mithril and the greenskins and everything that you can find in the daring excursion, uh, blood betrayal campaign diary. And uh, I, I, Diedrich is very excited to learn that the, the letter of his master, they, they, they've solved the piece and now they have this, um, this stardust. Mm -hmm. So they pull out the letter and recall uh, one of the passages that actually refers to stardust. And I'll just read it out. Um, so it says, read carefully as the sky will show you the way for stardust shines the brightest through the lens of the far and the future. So they have the letter out and Ungrim just says, let's just put it on. And he opens up the the flask, dumps it on the letter, and now there's all this stardust on the letter. I'm not too sure what he was expecting, because at that point, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. The party looks a little confused. Um, Diedrich, the, the gears in his head start, start grinding and thinking, and he, he remembers that his master referred to the spyglass that he had, and that actually Diedrich now has, as the lens to the far in the future, you know, calling it kind of as a, a generic term to, to help with premonitions and whatnot. So it made Diedrich think, let's, let's see what happens if I look at the letter with my spyglass. So he pulls it out and uh, sees through that, that the Stardust actually shines brightest at certain spot on the letter. And looking at it uh, through the spyglass, it actually focuses and creates a pattern Mm -hmm. uh, a, almost a skylight, and he recognized some constellation and the, the specific positioning. Diedrich is like, I can actually work with that mm -hmm. and geolocate uh, that sky. So that's kind of like the specialty of blue magic is uh, knowing the sky and using it to channel their power. Mm -hmm. So he's like, Oh, we basically have a location now. Yeah. So they, you know, they pull out a map, they they discuss, and they figure out that their next target or their next destination is about seven days travel from where they are. So they spend the night, they rest, they get all the supplies they need, and the next morning they hit the road. Yes, so they leave and they have a chariot uh, with some uh, equipment on it, right? Yeah, they yeah. have a chariot. Mm -hmm. The one thing that is missing though is Otis. Yeah. Yet again, Otis is, is nowhere to be found. He's apparently dealing with some, some business that he has to attend to in the city. Uh, so the party's traveling along the road. Otis isn't there. They're assuming he's he's working on the things that he was working on before. Um, in their chariot on the main road, they encounter a bridge that has been knocked down. They struggle to get over it, but they they manage to do so without really losing anything. Um, Sorry. And then camp for the night. Yes. So the group uh, starts resting for the night, and they found kind of a, a abandoned house. And uh, they have their their guarding, like they have their um, the rotations, rotations and whatnot. And, yeah. yeah. And at one point, they they hear someone 
coming up the stairs because they're on the second floor of the of this house and apparently it's a gang of scavengers from they, they hear them talk and it's like it's about like just gathering the leftovers from people running away from the war and the den the, the danger so um omgrim <laughs> who was yeah it was his his turn on guard duty uh who, who hears them first before anybody else kind of wakes up the rest of the party as fast as as he can really mm. because he wants to go and see what this commotion he's a pretty intimidating looking guy yeah <laughs> he approaches the scavengers and ah hello what are you doing here <laughs> and they kind of freak out they're not too sure w what to do and after already being kind of scared and intimidated by this this fearsome looking slayer ludolf in his full plate mail, or not full plate mail, but you know, he has yeah, some, some pretty hefty armor, yeah. approaches the party next. They're, they see a priest of Sigmar, <laughs> they see a slayer, they kind of say, oh, yeah. we're, we're, we're leaving, sorry yeah. to bother you, and they kind of leave fearfully. They're, they're clearly here for easy picking, and it's no longer that, so <laughs> they make their way, they, they leave. So the, the the rest of the night is uneventful, and the next day they set off for um, the next part of their journey. Yeah, they, they travel for a few days here and there, encountering people along the road. Um, and when they make it to the last village before the Dracul Forest, they actually see a big smokestack. They run towards it, hoping to help people who are maybe stuck in a fire or, or being attacked. And they actually find a pretty vacated location. There's a home that's been mostly, you know, the fire is um, is ending. It, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. I forget what the word, how you would call it, disseminating. Anyway, the, the, no longer a live fire. And the, there's a big clearing of, of where, I guess, beastmen could have been. There's lots of markings and mm -hmm. tracks in the grass. They investigate. They, they find it was kind of a, like a makeshift camped, uh, camp. And uh, they find the, the, the hooves marks. And they can figure out it. There's been some some combat here, some uh, mm -hmm. some struggling, and uh, I think it was Omgrim that found also a, a necklace um, that looked like a, the head of a wolf. Um, and using the knowledge of uh, Ludolf with uh, with this kind of thing, they figured out it was probably a priest of Ulrich. That that was kind of one of their way to identify them. Mm -hmm. uh, so because there's no body, there they, they see a little bit of blood. They see beastmen bodies. But they don't see any other kind of body. They figured from the dragging marks, there's probably been some uh, captured. They've been captured. Are they alive? Are they dead? We don't know. And they're like, we need to follow those tracks and save those priests of Ulrich. And that's where we're going to end today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And welcome behind the Game Master screen for our last episode of the Campaign Diary of the Blood and Betrayal series. Um, last episode, which we'll link up here, was the following the Azir session, the sixth session. Um, and we have some things to talk about between the two of us. Like usual, the behind the GM screen session is about Chris, the Game Master, me, the player, chit-chatting about things we liked, didn't like, and m maybe some of the secrets that well, it's behind, behind the, the GM screen. Yeah, behind the, yeah <laughs> behind, the, behind the scene, right? Um, so maybe just let me mention a little thing before we get into it. Uh, I call, like, the episode is called Following the Azir. We didn't really say what Azir was. Azir is the name of the blue magic, which mm -hmm. is in the Mithril, the Stardust, that was kind of like creating the map. Just 
we forgot to mention it, it's done. Now you know. <laughs> now you know. Uh, so one thing that was interesting to me is how uh, Diedrich went to see uh, Wemmer Wooten because I designed him to be this mysterious guy that was possibly like a fans or mm -hmm. something with contact information. I didn't have really like anything specific in mind. But you seemed to like grab on and wanted to go talk to him. So what was yeah. your process? What what did you like? Uh... Yeah, well, I mean, he he definitely seemed like a pretty neat NPC. Obviously, you know, he's a maybe like a criminal boss lord type of you know that that mm -hmm. was kind of the vibe that mm -hmm. that he gave off. And when you mentioned that he was an information broker of sorts, it really ticked something off in my head as a player you know mm -hmm. i at this point as a player i've been i was i had started considering how to make diedrich uh, experience new things and evolve i, I was really trying to question mm -hmm. diedrich's development okay. and actually i think it came close to or a little bit before i actually approached you and a few of the other players asking you like how, how can i make diedrich grow more mm -hmm. So I saw this as like maybe the start to that, that, that questioning that I was having kind of within myself as a player. How, how can I make Diedrich grow? And I saw this gentleman, information broker, blue magic is information. Let's see where this goes. Um, it, was, it was neat. It, it, I, I'm not sure I could say whether or not it informed me too, too much. I, I think maybe it was my first step into having Diedrich interact with maybe someone that was a little less than, like, a, a legal person, like, you, know, you know what I mean? Not academic, like, not a, is that what you mean? Oh, not legal in like, terms of, in like, terms of like, yeah, it's in, it's in the gray area of moral, uh, morality, I guess, because you gave information to someone that yeah may do something bad with it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. you know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know this guy's motives too, too much. Mm -hmm. He seems like someone who's kind of on the other side of the law. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was maybe what opened the door to future things that Diedrich, Diedrich decided to do. Mm -hmm. I, I won't. I know this is usually full of spoilers, but I don't think this is the time or place to talk about the things that Diedrich is doing uh, After. kind of live. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that Wormerutten was played a critical part in at least opening the doors to Diedrich's development. I don't know if you, you think... Yeah, no, I think I think it's right, and I I love it when players grab something because initially I would say Wimmer Wooten because he's more of a in the criminal background. I I intended him more like a like a guide, but for Otis. I see. Right? Yeah, yeah, Otis yeah, yeah, yeah. Was more aligned to it, so it's very interesting when someone when a player uh, takes an NPC in a different way that I expected, and after that I can play with expectations and stuff like that, and we'll Wimmer Wooten becomes somewhat central to guiding the players in the in the future yeah and i think this usually happens right when, when when people i mean me as a player especially in this campaign when you start to develop this strong relationship with a character especially one as powerful as where we're you kind of tend to return to them um you know you have not, not that you can get perks but almost yeah and, and at this point and for a while Wemmer wooten is um so you don't. I, I I tried to make it so that you don't know if he's actually gonna like backstab you or if he's mm -hmm. like good or bad or he's really like neutral, right? It's it's for his gain. And when you ask for a favor, it's like, okay, well, what do I get? What, what do I get? And usually it's either you give me money or better information, right? And mm -hmm. Diedrich is, has a specific uh, 
yeah, it, it, it lined up with mm -hmm. with Diedrich's skill set. So I saw it as like a perfect mm -hmm. uh, opportunity to explore this relationship, mm -hmm. and it worked out well. I think it was fun. Yeah, um, I have a question for you too, Chris, and it's about more about what would happen at the end of the episode. Okay, where we were traveling a lot. Mm -hmm. I know when I when I game master travel and making travel interesting is something that I I, I tend to focus or lately I've been focusing a lot on. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit about the process that you use, especially in this episode? There were, there were a few things with the chariot and the bandits or not the, mm -hmm. the scavengers. It, it kind of spoke to me as almost as an interrupt, something mm -hmm. we talk about uh, in our in our last roleplay chat video. You can click up here if you want. Yes, yes. Traveling for me is is hard because I I don't like to give players what they expect, and when you go for a seven day trial, uh, seven day travel, travel thing, yeah, um, you expect challenges, but if I don't put anything, it's not interesting, right? So I have to I try to come up with things that I can afterward, like obvious things that I can try to tweak. Mm -hmm. Um, the chariot thing was an, an interrupt. It was mostly to make sure you have uh, you have a decision between carrying this piece of equipment or leaving it there. And carrying it could um, have repercussion because it could be dragged in the water. You could be attacked. So I didn't put any attack because I figured you'd probably be expecting it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was just a little small thing. And to be honest, I didn't know how you were going to solve it. And you, um, I think you, um, I think we carried you it. You took it right? apart, yeah, and then moved it, and then put it back all we, together. We Something wasted that, a lot of time. Yeah, it was a lot of time, <laughs> but you know, like that's that's part of the game. Sometimes it's different level of interesting. But I saw somewhere someone said, you know, how do you keep your busy, your players busy for two hours? <laughs> it's like give them a door that's closed and <laughs> yeah. see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes the uh, yeah. Anyway, so that was one of them. The other one was the scavenger. That was probably my main uh, interrupt. And for me, it was, again, it was playing with the fact that you don't have to fight every combat. Because at this point, I felt like there was something in front of you you, we, would, you, would, usually you fight would hide. Usually Especially Umgrim. So it was, for me, a way to show that you don't have to fight everything. Because I knew the scavengers were there for easy picking and would leave pretty much... If they see your party, they're not gonna fight it. They weren't. Mm -hmm. They weren't strong at all. And Umgrim was on on duty, so I thought uh, Umgrim would just charge in and start destroying people, and that would have been okay. Uh, and you would probably have gotten more stuff. I see. But at the same time, uh, it gives maybe some kind of morality where I'm sure Randall would have been like, "Why are we killing killing people. random people? Yeah. Right? They're just looking for themselves, trying to survive in this this world." And Otis is no better. He steals stuff all the time. So it, it was a way to challenge the morality of the group. But it turns out, just with some intimidation, they, they went away. And that's also, for me, it also helps bring the story forward as we're, we're judging. We have a morality of not killing just everybody. So again, it was mm -hmm. playing with the expectation that the, the bandits won't just attack you because they... Why would they attack you? They just want stuff. Yeah, that, no, that's kind of neat. And and you know what? I'm glad that you say that because it, it certainly added this layer, right? It added a layer to the world where, it, to me, this was telling me as a player, like, look, there's people that have been displaced 
basically refugees doing everything they can to, to get what they need. And it, it kind of painted this, uh, this lens, this, this, this color to the landscape that we were traveling through that kind of stuck with us for the rest of the travel. Mm -hmm. Obviously you told us that we were in war torn lands, but seeing like the face of the people that this affected helped to paint that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it, mm -hmm. it definitely added to the exposition storytelling elements. Yeah. yeah. When there's a possible encounter that is social or combat, I, it's good to represent the world of the surrounding mm -hmm. or just be linked to the plot. Obviously there's random encounters. There's going to be one next week that are just random, but, um, it, it's a, it's a good way to make the travel interesting. We were saying travel, right? It's to make it relevant to the gen what's happening in the general story. Yeah. So I think that's probably covers, covers that, right? Yeah. And I mean, and especially because we just did the interrupts video, it mm -hmm. becomes really obvious to me now that those were interrupts. Mm -hmm. um, and interrupts have a really good place in, in travel. Like, I feel like it's mm -hmm. a, very natural place for them to live all right what what what, what do we want to talk about next? um maybe um so the letter i was pretty happy about the letter i think uh at this point you had it for like three three games. or four games yeah. yeah and i think at this point i mean me as a person started to figure out this letter pretty well mm. but as a character i don't think most of the party had had that much time to to, to actually engage with it. Mm -hmm. So I think this was, yeah, the, the first time that we, we interact with it in a very concrete way, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're actually pulling it out. We're actually using it to find our next location. Um, do you feel like we interacted with this, this riddle puzzle, whatever you want to call it in, in the way you expected us to? Um, it, as a whole, yes, mm -hmm. but specifically I thought you would, so the first game I gave it to, well, when you, when you received it, you looked at it, it was like, okay, did some check on it. And then you put it on the back burner and dealt with the other things. Yeah. And I thought you'd be more always looking like, okay, this happened. How does it refer to the letter? How does oh, it refer to the letter? Okay. So for instance, when you got back uh, Blackblade, it was, he was mentioned in the letter. Mm -hmm. I thought probably you kind of did the link there, but I'm not sure everybody did because your, your letter was in your like character pack yeah right? yeah yeah um so that that was a bit worried and that game i remember being like hey today guys were like you're dealing with the letter like i want you to deal with the yeah. letter and and actually when you say that part of the reason diedrich didn't give the didn't openly talk about the letter very much with the rest of the party is because i i remember when he revealed himself to everyone in the sewers he got kind of mixed like mm -hmm. the party wasn't exactly happy to find this out you know, they weren't mad about it but some of the some of the characters said things like oh like can we really trust him so yeah. i found myself unsure of, of how Diedrich should react and I, and I think my gut instinct was like well maybe i should keep this a little close to my chest question for you now, with the experience of what we went through, would you do the same thing as a player? Like, I, I know that you could justify the same thing. Yeah. But yeah. would you be more open with it to try to involve other players? Or would you still be uh, playing your character in a way that is 
more sheltered, I guess? I, I mean, I, I think I would have probably... We're getting better at role-playing together, mm -hmm. especially about things that are kind of like meaty situations. So I think I would have taken the opportunity to have like a one-on-one -on -one situation mm -hmm. where I talk to someone and be like, why, why are you guys giving me the cold shoulder? Why mm -hmm. aren't you... Like, I'm here to help. Like, I would have had that opportunity to engage with someone to be able to have a better reaction to the situation. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think I took a, a few of those small comments that might have been said in a role play, like intended as role play stuff. Mm -hmm. And I said like, ooh, okay, I'm going to role play Dijic's reaction to myself, which is, yeah. which is the wrong move. I mm -hmm. should have role played that in a public space to allow for the rest of the party to to to, to confirm or deny those feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think that's I mean? that's great, and that's something very interesting because I I'm, I, I want to explain in detail because I'm running another game for other people, and there's something that happened where um, I, I asked the player, "How do you feel about this? Like, make sure you know how your character feels about this situation." Mm -hmm. And he solved it, and after the game, he was like, "Oh, I'm, it's it's fun. I I." I rationalize how my character was okay with this, but did not engage anybody with it. Yeah, so that's, that's yeah. the thing. It, it reaches, it uh, connects with where you're saying, like, it's not only you explaining it to yourself, but it's then showing it through an interaction with someone else. And that's mm -hmm. where role play really... Uh... It, it definitely shines and it, it's a learning curve, right? Oh, like, yeah. in the moment, had you asked me if I had done that properly, I probably would have said yes. And, and it was like it was. It's just you were getting better, right? It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so I think that covers this. In terms of the letter, the other thing I could mention is the the Stardust thing uh, we mentioned in the Daring Excursion. The fact that I kind of put that there initially because I wanted to do the Mithril route, and then um, I decided to scrap it all together mm -hmm. because it would it would add another step, and it was kind of slowing down the story. So I figured the when I gave the letter, I figured the Stardust was probably in the like the ink, and once you pulled your spyglass out, you would it would shine. Oh, but see. when when we did the daring excursion thing, it was an improvise where it's not a big deal that we do a side quest; it doesn't slow down the story because it was an improvised game. Um, so for me, it was really about like it it, re, it it seems like seeding. We didn't do an episode yet on this, and we definitely do it one uh, uh, in the future. But we mentioned it again; it was in the interrupt yeah episode um where it's like i've put something i don't know if i'm going to use it or not or even what it's going to be used for but i can pull it out whenever i want again as kind of an interrupt which was the side quest so there was it was part of the the process here. and and it and i'd like to kind of confirm with you that it didn't really feel like it didn't belong mm. um i mean it kind of made the Stardust feel more important. Yeah. Which which maybe was an unintended side quest of ha not side side effect of having that mini quest where they went off. But like as a player, your meta knowledge, you you see, okay, they obviously went all the way here to get this thing, so it's clearly related to the, like mm -hmm. it. There's it could have been a red herring. It wouldn't have been the nicest thing for a game master to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, when they came back with the stardust, it, it it felt like, okay, this is clearly the next piece of this puzzle. 
Yeah, and it was also a way for for me to direct you to the letter even more to be like mm -hmm. now you I, you have one more tool now you, you're ready Take to deal it out. with it Let's e go. even yeah. though if you would have pulled out the spyglass before the daring excursion you would have seen the map uh -huh. uh, now it was like shining red lights right bringing the attention back to where I wanted the attention the attention to be mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the other thing we can mention is the fact that uh, the player playing um, Otis wasn't there. Yeah, he was He was absent. That's kind of why we came up with a narrative reason for him not mm -hmm. to really be too involved in the game. Um, did he talk to you about that? Like, did he say, I want to go and do a secret mission? No, actually, I, I figured I would s just say, okay, he disappears. Otis is kind of this mysterious guy, too. And in my head, I... Because he was going to miss a couple... Like, he missed a couple of games. Mm -hmm. So... I would always know what Otis was doing in parallel, and I figured once he comes back, I will talk to him, be like, this is the idea I have for you not being there, like Otis not being there for those games. Are you okay with it? Do you want to change it? That's basically what I do. When when we skip a week, or when we... Uh, a week in, in gameplay, I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, when we... A player's not there, I come up with a reason that I can link to the story, and I usually tell the players, are you okay with it? If you want to change something, tell me. We'll change it and I'll make it work. Yeah. And, um, and that's that's one of the solutions we talked about, mm -hmm. actually, when we discussed uh, in one of our previous episodes about player absences. Mm -hmm. As being one of the better solutions, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, one of the solutions is making sure it makes sense in the story and not this disappear, reappear uh, act that doesn't have any meaning. Mm -hmm. So you'll see that once Otis shows up again... It actually elevates his character, creates a, even more of his backstory, and it's actually very helpful to the, the rest of the campaign. So I think that's everything for today. If you guys have questions that you wanted to reach out to us with, you can always contact us on Twitter. That is at role underscore play underscore chat. Or we have an email. It's contact roleplaychat at gmail.com. And we encourage you to comment below uh, directly and... Um, We'll get in touch. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Uh, we're coming up close to the end of, of, of the first season of the Blood and Betrayal Campaign Diaries. So we're, you know, we're hoping you're enjoying these and we're hoping you're enjoying, or you're going to enjoy the kind of the, the big finale, let's call it that. <laughs> um, so until next time, that's everything for today. That's all, Matt. Let's call it a chat.